Thank you so much for joining us today. It is so good to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you do not know me, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, sorry, real quick, this thing is bothering me like crazy. All right, that's kind of been uh, a summary of this morning in some small ways here, just some different things. But uh, the awesome thing is we're not here for the tech. We're not here for all the bells and whistles. We're here to worship Jesus. And uh, thank you so much, worship team, for leading us this morning uh, as we worship Jesus together. Well, this morning we're going to continue in a series that we started last week, and it's in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5. Oh, sorry. I got super excited to dive in because today is going to be really awesome. But the kids, if you are in K through fifth grade, please, you can head downstairs. You would not want to listen to me blabber on today. Kids, you can head downstairs and have some fun down there. All right. And like I said, I'm really excited to share with you guys today. Um, I almost made the kids stay up here to share with them because this is uh, just a passage that uh, recently, especially for me, I've come to really appreciate. Because we're in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, if you've been a Jesus follower for some time, you've probably heard or uh, read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 at some point. And it's uh, what's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in this series uh, called, What If We Took Jesus' Words Seriously? And uh, this year, we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount at different times, but we're kicking it off here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, looking at what's famously known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are something, they're, they're kind of like a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool. I heard a, a pastor once describe them like this. Um, when you first kind of step in, you're, you're not too deep into them, and you can, you're pretty confident. You can know what they mean. But as you wade into it, the depth and the meaning just just starts to become deeper and deeper until it's up past your knees and then to your waist. And if you keep going pretty soon, it's above your head. Because the Beatitudes, at first, they're, they're small, compact statements, but there's so much jam-packed into these little statements. And so there's so much depth for us as Jesus followers to dive into and to understand and to apply to our lives. And the Beatitudes, I will be really honest with you, for a long time, for most of my life, I have wrestled with them and struggled with them and been very confused by them. Because on one hand, they sound very Bible-y. Do you know what I mean by that? God blesses those who da-da-da. God blesses those who da-da-da. God blesses those who da-da-da. And you just read through it really quick. And if you read through it super fast, it's just, oh, that sounds nice. It's awesome that God blesses people. And it kind of has that Christian-y feeling and sounding. But if you slow down and start to read these Beatitudes, like, Pastor Corey kicked us off last week, they can start to be a little confusing. I mean, we looked at one last week that says, blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who mourn. And you're like, why in the world would I want to mourn? Why would I want to add more mourning into my life when we live in the world we live in? You know, how could that possibly bless me? And I, that for a long time was something I struggled with. Like, why in the world would I want those things in my life? You know, I want God's blessing but I don't really want to be poor. I want God's blessing. I don't really want to mourn. And I often came to the Beatitudes for most of my life thinking of them as a formula to be blessed. Do you know what I mean? You know, a formula like A plus B equals C, you know, back going back to, to math class, you know, you know those formulas. Well, I often thought of it as, well, if a, a little bit of tears plus maybe some fat, sad feelings will equal God's blessing. Or I thought of it as a scale. You know, if God's blessing is on this side, and if I just heap the morning on this side, pretty soon I'll tip the scale and God will 
have to bless me. And I think that's a wrong way of approaching these Beatitudes. I don't think we're supposed to think of them as this transactional um, engagement with God, where, God, if I do this, then you have to bless me. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. And Pastor Corey, last week, he put it well. He said, this isn't transactional, it's relational. And blessing ultimately flows out of being in relationship with Jesus. And so as we look at these Beatitudes, we need to realize that this is all built on and based on being in relationship with Jesus. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus, it's going to be really hard to understand how blessing can come out of these things. And the Beatitudes, um, they're, they're here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think they're so cool where Jesus places them. Because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's about to go into all of these things that we as Jesus followers, we as people of God's kingdom, should do and shouldn't do. He talks about um, all sorts of things in these three chapters. But here at the beginning, he's not really talking about things that we're doing externally. He's not talking about the doings or the actions or the deeds of kingdom people. What he's really getting at is what is the heartbeat behind a person who is a follower of Jesus? And that's how I, I have come to look at the Beatitudes. Is these are the heartbeat of kingdom people. It's, a, it's kind of like a stained glass mosaic. I don't know if you've ever been to a, uh, an old building or a church that has a big stained glass mosaic. And it's one big picture, but there's all these different little pictures that help make up the beautiful stained glass mosaic. And each beatitude is kind of like a little bit of the big picture of what the heartbeat of a Jesus follower should be. Or another way to think of it is, imagine you're holding uh, a diamond or a precious gem in your hand, and as you as you turn it in your hand, the light hits it at different angles, and you get it to you get to see it shimmer and shine as you move it slowly. And that's kind of what the beatitudes are. As we look at each one, we're we're gazing at and looking at, hey, these are the different multifaceted pieces of what our heartbeat should be like as Jesus people, and. Uh, I, I think that these are the desires of the, some of the desires of what kingdom people should be, the Beatitudes are, because I think they were oftentimes the desires and the heartbeat of our King. When we examine Jesus' life, we can see the different Beatitudes coming out in the way that He lived. And so I think if we're going to be Jesus followers, we need to develop a heartbeat as Jesus' heartbeat was. We need to desire the things that Jesus desired because ultimately it doesn't matter how much behavior modification we do. If our heart isn't changed, if we don't have that relationship with Jesus, if we don't desire the things of Jesus, ultimately our behaviors, they're going to reorient back to what we want and not what he wants. And so I, I've come to appreciate these Beatitudes because I've, used to see them as just outernal things, outward things, the deeds I did, and not really my heart postures. But that's what I think they should be. And uh, ultimately in this life, are we going to have a perfect heartbeat the way that Jesus' heart beated while he was here on earth? No, we're, we're not, because we're sinful human beings. But when we're, when we're saved, that's the point of salvation in our life. We are eternally secure before God. We are justified before God. But then we enter into this lifelong process of becoming sanctified, of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that ultimately won't be fulfilled until either he comes back or we go to be with him. But 
as a Jesus follower, as we live and as we get to know Jesus and as we learn and grow, our heartbeat should become more and more like the heartbeat of Jesus's. Uh, it should be look. It should have these beatitudes encapsulated in them. And uh, last week, Pastor Corey he used this example of airplanes are much safer than cars. You guys remember that? Yeah, he used that example to help get at the fact that what God declare that God declares what's best for our lives. You know, oftentimes if we're driving in a car, we can be tempted to be backseat drivers. Has anyone been a backseat driver? Anyone willing to to admit that? I've been a backseat driver, depending on who's at the steering wheel. But I've never been a backseat driver in an airplane. I would never have the audacity to, to do that. And oftentimes in life, we think of life as a car. You know, we all understand cars. We're all used to driving in cars. But an airplane is a different, is a different beast altogether. And life oftentimes we think is a car, but really it's a plane. And God is the one who knows best how to operate it. And in life, God knows what's best for us. He knows what's best for our heartbeat and what it should look like. And I bring that up again because as we're examining these Beatitudes, if we're really honest with them, I think sometimes it's, at least I'll just I'll speak for myself, sometimes it's easy to say, I don't think you know what's best, God. I don't really want to be merciful to this person. or I don't really want to be humble in this situation. Here are the reasons why. But if I'm going to recognize that Jesus is the author of my life, he created me, and then he remade me uh, after I sinned and fell away, then I should be willing to say, you know what? He knows what my heart desires should be better than I should or better than I do. And so today, as we continue with the next three of these Beatitudes, let's come with this posture of humility, of saying, hey, Jesus, if this is what you say my heart should be like, or if these are the things that I should desire, then please help my heart change in this process. All right? All right, we're going to dive in to the first of today's three Beatitudes. Um, if you have a Bible, you can feel free to open up to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 6, whether that's a paper Bible or an electronic Bible. But we're going to be Matthew 5, uh, verse 6. And it says this. It says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Um, have you ever heard someone say that life isn't fair? Have you ever heard someone say that? If you're a parent in here, I'm sure that you've heard your kids say that uh, pretty much every day of their lives, I'm sure. You know, I have some nieces, and our niece and some nephews, and they're real little, but I've already started to hear them say that when my brother or sister-in-law says something. They, they're very quick to, oh, that's not fair. And they come up with all these reasons of why their lives uh, aren't fair and why they know better than mom and dad. And, uh, and there's this, there's this uh, like pithy saying that adults typically use, and I hated it as a kid, when I would say, Mom, Dad, you're not being fair. And they would say, well, life's not fair. And they would always respond by that, and it would just kind of get under my skin, and I'm sure I've done that to kids now. But uh, the reality is, life isn't fair. And we as adults, we know that too. We know that there's something wrong with our reality. And oftentimes, we, we try to manipulate it in ways that are selfish. You know, we, we know that life isn't right. We know that our world is broken. And so we often, with our, because of our sin, we try to manipulate things and say, well, this isn't fair to me. And so we try to manipulate it in a way that we think is best for us. 
But the reality is we all know that the world, it's broken. There is injustice. There are broken relationships. There are broken governments. There is just a broken world system because of sin. And this beatitude says God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. And uh, whenever a kid or whenever an adult says that's not fair, they're seeking justice. They're seeking for righteousness to, to take place. And righteousness is this idea of right standing um, before God or right standing within our relationships with other people. And uh, again, oftentimes we, we miskew justice to make it about us rather than about what really is just and right. But we all know that the world is broken and that we desperately, desperately need justice. I mean, just look at the news any night of the week and we all know, wow, this world, just, we need righteousness in our relationship with God. We need righteousness in our relationships with every other person because sin has just broken those relationships. And so this beatitude is really getting at, do we have a heart desire for right, good, and just relationships? Do we have those desires? And this beatitude, if we, if we remember it, it's uh, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, or as other translations say, for righteousness. Jesus isn't just calling us to desire this, is he? He actually uses some language that he really wants us to desire this. I mean, he says God blesses those who hunger and thirst. You know, when I think about hunger, when I think of thirst, I don't really think of justice first. The first thing I think of is what am I eating for lunch? You know, that's usually what, what I think. I'm usually thinking about what's the next meal. And food, maybe not for you, but at least for me, food is a huge motivation. I mean, if my, my wife asked me to do something, I'm like, yeah, okay. And then she's like, I'll make you something. It's like, oh, yes, honey, I'll get that done yesterday. It's like, it's so motivating to know that I'm going to have my stomach filled with the things I love most. And I think everybody is motivated by food, motivated by just this incessant desire to be filled. I mean, now in our society, we now have a word that describes we, we're, we've actually combined two words where we take the physical feeling of hunger and we combine it with the emotional feeling of anger, and it's called being hangry. Has anyone ever been hangry before? Yeah, I, I get hangry, and uh, my wife can attest to that. But we, we are so passionate about our need to be filled and satisfied in our stomachs that we now talk, we combine the physical and the emotional feelings. I just find that so fascinating. But Jesus, he's calling us to hunger here for justice. He's calling us to be thirsty for right relationships. And I can just think of how I often get fixated on my physical hunger or my physical thirst. And those are things I need. But what if, what if that deep, intense desire we often have for the physical needs in our life, we carried over into something more important? this spiritual, relational need for righteousness and justice in our world? What if we hungered for right relationship with God each and every day? And if you're a Jesus follower, your relationship with him is secure. You have that. But we still give in to sin. And, and I, I know myself, I can often justify my, my sins in different ways. Uh, last week, Pastor Corey talked about how sometimes we, we view sin rather than as a lion, as a little kitten. 
And uh, sometimes I can look at sin as, well, it's not that bad. It's just, it's just a little, just a little sin. Rather than saying, you know what, this sin gets in the way of my relationship with God, or it messes up my relationship with other people, and I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness the way that I should. And I think our world desperately needs people to hunger and to thirst for justice, to stand up for for the injustices we see, and to do it in ways that are are good and loving and help bring people to Jesus, because there's so much brokenness. And so if you've ever watched the news or if you've ever had something experienced in your life and you've just asked, God, why can't there be justice here? No, we're supposed to desire that. We're supposed to have that deep longing of this world is broken. We want it to be fixed. It's okay to have that desire. And it's okay to take that to Jesus and to ask him, Lord, please bring about justice in this situation. Because that should be part of our heartbeat. And what I love here is it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I don't know if you've ever gone through something in your life where you sought justice and you didn't receive it. And I'm sorry. Or if something happened to you and you were falsely accused or whatnot, and there's now, you've had injustice and you've experienced that. That is so difficult. And I am so sorry for you. And that's not right. But I want you to know that we will be satisfied if we just if we hunger and thirst for justice. If we hunger and thirst for right standing with other people. And not the kind of justice where it's really about revenge, but the right kind of justice where it's about mending relationships and bringing people back into reconciliation. Like God is going to satisfy us. Probably not on our timetables. But ultimately, in the end, God is going to bring about justice. When he returns, when there is the final judgment, there is going to be justice. It's kind of hard to think about, but that will come in the end. Because I believe we should let people off our hooks. When people wrong us, we should seek to forgive them. But people won't get off God's hook. And so we can give God, the king of the universe, we can give him the role of being the just king over our lives and he will satisfy us right relationships will come maybe not in our timing maybe not even in our life but in the end they will come and uh, martin luther king jr he put it really well he has this famous saying he said the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice can you picture picture an arc the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice we start here in a world that is just and then it breaks and it's just full of injustice, and it seems like it keeps going up and getting worse, but it will eventually bend back to justice. When our king returns, he will satisfy us. He will have justice, because it's his kingdom, not our kingdom, and he cares a lot about his kingdom. And so I just encourage you, what would it look like to have this heartbeat in your life, a heartbeat where you hungered and thirsted for righteousness and for justice? Would it maybe change the way we view our sin? Would it maybe change the way we treat the relationships with the people around us? Would it, would it help us uh, empathize and sympathize with those who are experiencing injustice? I think it would. And so I think we should take Jesus' words seriously. Because I'll be honest with you, I often thirst for the things I want and not the things I need. 
And I think what I desperately need and what our world needs is justice. So that's the first beatitude. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. The second one is this, uh, verse 7. Verse 7 says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I'll be honest with you, I when I first read this, this just sounds a lot nicer. It sounds a lot better than what we just read. I mean, justice is often this thing that I think of as really strong and just kind of scary at times, especially when I examine my own life and I think of all the wrongs that I've done. And then I read this and it's like, oh, it's good. But it's also, as we wade deeper into the pool of this beatitude, there's a lot here, a lot of depth that we need to wrestle with. And, uh, and if you've been a, a Jesus follower for some time, or at least gone to a church, I'm sure you've heard what the greatest commandment is. Um, what, what, what is the greatest commandment? Yep, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's two things. It's two sides of the same coin, to love God and to love others. And as a Jesus follower, our vertical relationship with God has to be connected to our horizontal relationship with other people. I mean, think about the greatest commandment, to love God and to love other people. Jesus didn't separate them. But oftentimes, I know for myself, I can separate them, or at least I can try to. And I think this beatitude is really, it's, it's really getting at this reality that we need to care not just about our vertical relationship with God, but we also need to care about our vertical relationship with other people. It's similar to what we just read about justice, but kind of in, in, a, different, in a different approach. And uh, I kind of think of it like this, this vertical relationship with our horizontal relationship. If they are like this, they need to be tied together. They need, there needs to be a knot that holds them together because as a sinful, selfish human being, my tendency is to want to separate them and to say, God, I really want your love, but I don't want to love others because they do mean things to me. I'm selfish. They, they wronged me. They broke my heart. They did whatever. But God, please be merciful to me. I'm sure, I'm sure others in here have done the same thing where we, we desperately want God to be merciful to us, but we don't want to be merciful to others. And so we need the horizontal love and the vertical love to be connected because that's what Jesus told us to do, to love God and to love others. And so I picture them being tied together. And uh, uh, a number of years ago, I worked at a camp in upstate New York called Deerfoot Lodge. It's an all-boys Christian camp. And uh, while I was up there, I learned a bunch of knots uh, with ropes on how to tie up different things and whatnot. And uh, uh, it was uh, it was really fun, and we teach the boys as they'd come the different knots. And uh, if you know anything about knots, um, not, there are different knots that are used for different things. And some knots uh, tend to slip more easily, or they they tend to get loose more easily for whatever reason. Sometimes that's intentional, or sometimes they're just not as good of a knot. And there's other knots that slip a lot, uh, that that hold a lot more securely uh, for whatever their purpose is. And Oftentimes, my, my vertical love for God and my horizontal love for people can slip and they can separate. And that's because I forget the incredible mercy and love and grace and forgiveness and kindness that I have been shown by Jesus at the cross. I forget the fact that God died for me and so I, I, I just forget that I need to go love other people. 
And I, I do that because I tend to think about myself rather than about others. And the, this idea of mercy, God blesses those who are merciful. It, mercy is, tends to be a reciprocal thing where usually just uh, when we show people mercy, there, there is oftentimes where people show us mercy back. And, um, and Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 18 where it talks about how we need to remember the mercy that God has shown us. And if we're shown mercy by him, we should then go out and show mercy to other people. And I'm sure many of you have heard the parable. It's in Matthew 18. We're not going to turn there. But it's this parable where this, this guy, he goes before a king and he owes the king millions and millions and millions of dollars. You guys remember this parable? And uh, he, he goes before the king and he begs for mercy. And the king says, okay, I forgive you. You're free to go. And just imagine that, going before a king and you owe them a debt you could never possibly pay. You deserve to go to prison for the rest of your life and they, you get to walk out scot-free. And so the guy, he walks out and as he's, as, he's, as he's going home, he runs into a neighbor who owes him not millions and millions and millions of dollars, but maybe just a few thousand dollars. Something that would in, in time be payable. And instead of showing his neighbor mercy, he decides to have his neighbor thrown into prison and the king hears about it and he brings it back in and says what are you doing like i showed you so much mercy for something so big and you couldn't show mercy to someone for something so small and he takes the mercy back and he puts him in prison i know for me my vertical love and my horizontal love that need to be tied together oftentimes separate when i forget the immense mercy that God has shown me. When I, when I start to become selfish and think that I'm all that and I start to forget the fact that I'm a sinful human being who needs mercy, I tend to become proud and boost myself up and then I start to put others down and I forget to show them mercy when I have been shown so much mercy. And so I just encourage you, what, what does it look like to have a heartbeat that shows people mercy? What would that look like in your life today, this week? Maybe there's someone specific in your life who it's just been really hard to show mercy to. And maybe they've done some things to you and it's been really hard. And, and I don't want to negate the fact that you've been hurt. Like that happens and that is not good. But we have also done so much to the God of the universe we deserve to be separated from him forever. And yet he said, no, I'm going to show you mercy. And if that act of love doesn't change us, it should. If God's act, a great act of love that he would die for us doesn't impact our heartbeat each and every day, if it doesn't change the way we view others around us, then I think we need to examine, okay, what's going on in here? Why do I not want to show this person mercy when he has shown me this much mercy? And that might be in your life, it might be a specific person, like I said, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker, maybe a boss, um, maybe someone you don't know personally, but someone who's uh, on the news or someone who is in our community or wherever. Who is it that you can struggle to show mercy to? And uh, in wrapping up this, this beatitude, it says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As a Jesus follower, we have been shown mercy. We have been blessed by God's mercy for us and will be blessed by God's mercy for all eternity. 
And so if we have mercy from God that's going to bless us for all eternity, I think that puts into perspective the amount of mercy we might be asked to show to someone here and now. And so I'd encourage you to think about that. Is your heart beating with a desire to show others mercy because you have been shown mercy? All right, the last one. It's in verse 8. It says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Um, I'll be honest, this beatitude for me tends to be one of the harder ones because Jesus goes right to the reality that this is an internal thing. He says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Often I can, I can think about justice or as mercy as outward extensions. Well, I, I outwardly show someone justice or I outwardly show someone mercy. And uh, again, I think those are meant to be more about our heartbeat um, because if we don't desire the things of Jesus, ultimately our actions are going to be twisted back to do selfish things for us because sin is, is ultimately rooted in our heart. And here Jesus, he just cuts right through it and he says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. In our society, we get so fixated, I think, on the external, our external lives that we miss the reality that there is our internal life. And just look at our the advertisements that we, we watch, we listen to, we see each and every day. So many of them are just about how to improve our external life, whether through uh, different relationships or or things we can buy, or things we can do, things to help make us happier or safer or whatever. It's all about out here. And none of those things, oftentimes those things aren't intrinsically bad, are they? Oftentimes there are good things, uh, things that we can enjoy. I mean, God created us, gave us an awesome world with so many things we can enjoy, but we can sometimes get so fixated on out here that we miss that, hmm, maybe there are some issues of our heart Maybe there are some impure things in here that are actually going to begin to wreak havoc out here. And so this beatitude, I think, really gets at asking the question, uh, what is your priority in life? Is it simply to be appeased out here, or is it to have a heart that is pure, that beats for Jesus, that desires the things of Jesus? Do we get fixated on out here to the detriment of in here? And uh, Jesus talks about this, about the reality that it's from our heart that sin ultimately comes in Matthew 15. Uh, Matthew 15, verses 17 to 19, he says this. He says, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. It's from the heart that these evil thoughts come. And you can see why this was a problem for me growing up so much, thinking about this being a transactional thing, because I made it so often about the external that I missed the fact that, hey, inside, I'm actually not desiring the things of Jesus. You know, I can quickly try to modify my behavior, but if I don't have a heart that is changing towards what Jesus wants, uh, my behavior ultimately in the end will become selfish because my heart is geared toward that selfishness, being a sinful human being. And this beatitude, um, I think it, it definitely hits on uh, 
sexual temptations and thoughts. Um, but often when we hear the word purity, I think we can just fixate on, on those things. And it definitely does. But I think it, it gets to even more than just our sinful lusts. It's any sinful desire that takes us away from, from desiring what Jesus wants and putting us as the sovereign over our life. It's any idol we make in our life rather than worshiping Jesus and worshiping this thing. Uh, John Calvin, the famous pastor and theologian, talked about how our hearts are idol factories. They just constantly are, are pushing out, pumping out different idols. Things that we say, you know, I don't want to worship Jesus. I desire this thing. I desire that thing. and I'm going to worship that. And it could be something, when you we're talking about purity, it could be something sexual in nature. It could be a relationship. But it could be a desire for power. It could be a desire for control. It could be a desire to manipulate a certain situation. It could be a desire for, yeah, I want this material thing rather than God's kingdom. It could be anything in our life that we put before Jesus. And again, some of those things aren't bad things in and of themselves. Oftentimes the idols in my life aren't intrinsically bad, but I make them bad because I say, you know what? I want my kingdom more than Jesus's kingdom. And the amazing thing is, this beatitude. I mean, it says God blesses those who are pure in heart. Oftentimes, I can behavior modify my out, my external world, so it looks like I'm living for Jesus's kingdom, but internally, I'm really thinking about my kingdom. And uh, I, th- I like to think about it uh, as a as a cup of coffee. Now, I, at home, I have a, a coffee pot, and I wake I make way too much coffee. Um, I love coffee. I'm drinking it all the time. But my coffee pot at home, oftentimes I'll get coffee grounds in my coffee. And usually I make an excuse, well, it's the coffee pot or it's the coffee filters. But really it's probably user error. And uh, I make a cup of coffee. I pour it. And out on the outside, the coffee cup, the coffee in it, it looks awesome. It's warm. It's steaming. It smells so good. And externally, it looks like a fabulous cup of coffee. And then I go to take a sip. And I get a mouthful of grounds. And I know, nope, I'm dumping the whole batch. Because it's not good. And I think Jesus is getting at here in this, all the Beatitudes, but really here, cutting through that, hey, this following Jesus isn't just about behavior modification. And I think that's, that's, part, of, that's part of being a Jesus follower. The actions we do matter. And in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to share a lot of things about things we should do, things we shouldn't do. But ultimately, our heart needs to be changed to where we're desiring Jesus and desiring his kingdom. And so here, I just ask, what does your heart beat for? Is it pure? Is it desiring your kingdom or God's kingdom? And again, we're not going to be perfect in this life. We're always going to be wrestling with this. But what is the tendency of your of your heart? And I... I need to wrap up just uh, really quick. I just want to challenge us all this week. I want to challenge you to do a heart check this week, to think about these different Beatitudes and to think about what are the things uh, you're desiring that I'm desiring other than Christ's kingdom. And uh, as you do a heart check, the first thing I'd say to do is, one, praise God for the areas in your life, the areas in your heart that you see, wow, I actually my heart is beating for Jesus in this area. I do hunger and thirst for, for justice and righteousness. Or, wow, 
Like I, I am showing people mercy more now than, than I used to. Like, wow, my desire for that is changing. And if you see those areas in your life, praise God for that because that, the Holy Spirit is working in you. He is changing your heart's desires. And that is an awesome thing worth being encouraged by, worth praising God for. So don't miss that. But the second thing is maybe pick one of these beatitudes that you see, hmm, I don't really, my heart's not really beating in this way. I'm not really hungering and thirsting for justice. Or, you know, I'm really struggling to show mercy to these people or that person or whatever. Hmm, Lord, I am just so focused on my, my idols that my heart, my thoughts, they're just impure. Whatever it is, whichever one. Think about the ones Pastor Corey shared last week. Think about these ones. Maybe read ahead for the ones for next week. And just think about which one am I struggling with. And then each day this week, just pray and ask God, Lord, please help change my heartbeat. Help me to show mercy. Help me to hunger for justice. Because ultimately, we want our hearts to be changed because this is all about relationship with Jesus. It's about knowing him more and more and loving him more because that's what we were created for. And uh, today, if you're sitting here, if you're watching online, and you're not a Jesus follower, um, thank, thanks for listening in. Um, I would encourage you just to think about Jesus' heartbeat for our world. Look at the Gospels and see these things. He had mercy for people. He sought justice for the oppressed. He lived a life of purity. His heartbeat was so good. And so I'd just encourage you to think about that and to think about, hmm, what would it look like to have a relationship with Jesus? But uh, will you all pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you shared with us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it is challenging, at least for me, to wrestle with these things. When I live with my heart every single day and so often it is not desiring your kingdom, it's desiring my kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us uh, continue to change our hearts. Please do that for us. Continue to help us desire you and your kingdom and not our own kingdom. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for loving us. May you be with anyone here who doesn't know you. May you encourage them and challenge them to think about your heartbeat for this world and the reality that you love this world so much that you came to die for this world. What an amazing heartbeat that is. May you help all of our heartbeats beat in the same way. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.